Somebody once said that liberation is not within the grasp of the devotionally inert. I was reading that just the other day in a book, and I started reflecting on the quality of faith, or devotion, or trust, in our practice and in our lives. I'd like to speak about that tonight, using those three terms, faith and devotion and trust, interchangeably. In the sense in which I'm using the word faith, it's the manifestation in our lives of the urge towards truth and the urge towards love and compassion. The awakening of of this quality of faith, this kind of faith, is like a steady, unquenchable flame burning in our hearts. It's the kind of flame that that burns up obstacles, that reduces them. We've talked a lot about the Eightfold Path being the middle path, the way towards truth being the way of balance. And we've talked about that sense of balance being between the two extremes, one extreme of self-indulgence and the other extreme of self-mortification. Sometimes in hearing that, there's almost a sense that finding the balance between self-indulgence and self-mortification is like a process of calculation. It's like saying to oneself, well, I spent the last couple of days in self-indulgence. Maybe it's time to do two or three in self-mortification. And in the end, they'll, they'll sort of balance out. It's not quite like that. It's more like seeing two ways of being or two processes of being and making a complete level jump, transcending them to some place on another plane completely and finding the balance from that complete other way of looking at things. So it's not the sort of finding of mediocrity in between two extremes, but of seeing the tension of each extreme and transcending, coming to a whole different place that neither falls into one nor the other category. This is the place of balance. And the way we make that jump, that leap, into that completely other way of looking, to that other place of looking, is through the quality of faith. It's said that the Dharma is timeless, because the practice of the Dharma, of coming to the truth, is not a question of time. It's not a question of acquisition. It's a process that's complete in its entirety in the here and now, in the present moment. And so it's timeless. It's not like learning an answer to a question that we somehow have to figure out and then we've got the answer and we can carry it around with us and find satisfaction in that. And it's not perfecting a technique because the perfection of a technique has the danger of allowing us to view ourselves as technicians or experts in a certain way. Progressing within the Dharma, or progressing along the middle path, making this kind of of leap to a whole other way of looking at things, is a question of being present with what is and not being burdened by comparison and expectation and images, not being burdened by the accumulations of duality, of living in a dualistic way. When we can let go of these burdens, then we can, in the present moment, truly listen. With that listening, there's a sense almost of wonderment, And with that, there's the possibility of 
of responding in a very spontaneous way to what's happening. If we live in the present moment, if we're aware of the present moment, without comparison, then there's no blame and there's no expectation. I was sitting this morning and thinking, 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 (laughs) but what my thought was, was if there's no blame, if there's no sense of blame, can there even be a sense of past? If we're not blaming the past or blaming the present for not being the past, is there even a sense of past? And if there's no expectation, how can there even be a sense of future? But just the living present, the present moment, and being fully conscious of that, of that experience of that moment, with that sense of wonderment, of innocence. When we can do that, when there is a sense of innocence, of not comparing and judging and analyzing, then there seems to be the possibility of being able to be profoundly touched by what is going on. To be touched by it in such a way as to, as to learn from it, as to be open enough to be able to learn from it. To be able to learn from all things in each moment as they arise without discrimination and without exclusion. In a space of openness such as this, of being able to learn and being able to touch and be touched by what is going on, there's no disappointment and there's no frustration because it is not based on thwarted expectation or on comparison. There's no disappointment. There's no sense of dismissing or rejecting what's going on in the light of some ideal or preference. And there's also no complacency. There's no taking things for granted, dismissing them in that sense of not not being full or not being whole. Again, one of the processes through which we learn to let down this burden of expectation and blame and desire is through the factor of faith or trust, through strengthening that within ourselves. One of the fundamental roots of comparison and expectation and living in the past and living in the future is that we have a sense of separation, of distance and isolation. We have a sense of separation from ourselves and our own experience of our bodies and our minds. We have a sense of separation from other people. Even the people we at times feel closest to. And we have a sense of distance, of disconnectedness from nature, from the world around us and from from nature in its deepest sense, the laws of nature, the way things are. And so we feel very alienated, very fragmented in our lives. Within this sense of separation, of incompleteness and disconnectedness, there can be no, no feeling of integrity or wholeness. So what we experience as the dualistic universe our dualistic world, arises from the rejection of what is because of ideas or expectations or desire. We reject what actually is arising in the present moment based on a sense of separation or disconnectedness. And so we find ourselves living within duality as we try to put forth effort to control this duality, we find ourselves living in fear. As we find ourselves living in fear and then experiencing the futility and the powerlessness in trying to control duality, 
we find ourselves living with a lot of aversion and aggression and hostility. All of these things are very painful, they're very unpleasant. And what seems to evolve out of this perpetuation of confusion in duality and fear in trying to control and aversion towards being out of control is that we develop a kind of continual or almost continual resistance. The resistance arises from not wanting to experience the painful feelings, like the fear and the aversion. And in the end, often, that quality of resistance can feel like the most alive thing about us. It's more alive than we are. And so people find themselves feeling as though they're confronting some massive power of resistance unable to be in the moment, or feeling unable to be in the moment with what is. To be able to experience what is happening, and not to do battle with the resistance, but to disarm the resistance, is the cultivation of the quality of faith, or trust. Faith is the quality of mind which is actualizing. It's the quality of our being which makes the truth our own instead of something abstract or distant that we've read about or we've heard that people experienced a long, long time ago in caves. It's the process that makes it our own, that makes it alive in our experience. There's a phrase in the the Buddhist scriptures Through faith, one draws near. And generally, that's taken to mean through a quality of faith or propensity towards an urge to truth, to understanding. One draws near the teaching. One finds oneself in some situation or um, condition which allows one to hear about morality and concentration and wisdom or the Eightfold Path. I think a deeper meaning of that is that not only do we draw near to the kind of doctrinal truth, but we draw near to the truth of the present moment. We reunite and reconnect with the truth of our present experience. We draw near, we open up, we welcome the experience so that we can learn from it. When we find ourselves postponing the experience of the moment, and we find ourselves dwelling in a sense of dissatisfaction or not having enough, that it's not enough, it's not enough concentration or it's not enough peace and quiet or it's not enough whatever. This is a sign of distrust. And when this gets strong enough, then there's a sense of panic. If there's a feeling of fear or alienation from our experience, or a feeling of impoverishment, of some desperate need to fill the gap through through desire and, and grasping, then it's time to examine the level of faith or trust upon which we're operating. If you can sense the difference between panic, which is the sense of wanting to fill or cover up some gaping hole inside, the difference between that and a sense of urgency, which might, another way of saying urgency is earnestness, that coalescing of all of our energy around an activity or an action. That's the transformation or the transmutation of energy that happens through the deepening of the sense of trust from panic to earnestness. When there's a sense of completeness in the moment, 
then there is a sense of inner trust. It's the end of, of that feeling of disconnectedness. And right in the moment, it is a sense of openness and, and wholeness and connectedness. In cultivating faith or trust and being in the moment, there's often a process of disillusionment. Disillusionment meaning the gradual ending of illusions. So it's not finding something solid and real out there upon which we can hopefully depend if we've learned nothing else in almost three months, it's that you really can't depend on anything. So it's not as though there's something out there which is not transient, which is not transitory. There are often times of disillusionment, of seeing things in a different way, perhaps a distressing way. But what there is not is a sense of disappointment. Things are complete in themselves. The process of, of faith or trust is not that of hope. Hope is, is very much a sense of wishing for things to be other than they are and some, some faint stirring of belief that sometime in the future they will in fact change the way we want them to. In that sense, hope and despair or hope and fear are very closely intertwined. It's like there's a a spindle and around it is just weaving in and out hope and despair and hope and despair and hope and despair in a never-ending cycle. It's not that. It's also not a question of belief. It's not a question of having an authority and conforming one's one's sense of trust upon the words of that authority. It's not dependent on memory or dogma. When Joseph and I were in Africa, in South Africa this summer, teaching, we went to a farm where somebody had been collecting fossils and setting them up in a museum. And at one point, the person whose farm it was, said to us in this very tentative kind of way, he said, what do Buddhists believe about the theory of evolution? Because in South Africa, it's a very hotly debated topic. You know, the church says one thing and scientists say another. And there are all these struggles around the belief. And we were both really shocked into silence. Like, who knew? (laughs) You know, it's hard to even sense what being a Buddhist might mean, let alone what the Buddha might have said about the theory of evolution. (laughs) You know, having a sense of faith or trust is not the same as having a set of beliefs about things which rigidify or separate into a world of concept and opinion. The difference between Having a a questioning mind and an ability to question authority and having a resistant mind, not able to hear or take in, is goodwill. With a sense of openness and goodwill and trust, it is very possible to question everything and to be open to the experience of the moment. It's different both from setting up rigid beliefs and from being resistant to hearing. Faith is that sense of drawing near, of opening up, of wonderment. It's receptive, able to experience, able to learn. It's expansive. And out of this expansive, receptive space comes intuitive wisdom. This is how we connect out of this this way of relating 
to ourselves and to the world around us. The power of faith yields up what's possible in each moment. And so we are connecting to the highest potential or possibility of each moment. Faith is inseparable from the quality and the purity of our energy and effort. And it's inseparable from our aspiration, especially that sense of right aspiration or right thought, which is part of the Eightfold Path. If we have right aspiration, which is like having right intention or right thought, then we can use each experience as a stepping stone to understanding. When we don't do this, then we, we tend to have a very strong habit of taking suffering very personally and just getting dragged down again and again by painful or difficult situations. With trust or openness, it becomes possible to connect fully to each moment and to then use it as an opportunity for understanding the nature of things. So the quality of our faith or trust and the quality of our aspiration, the three components of right aspiration are said to be first, freedom from desire having a sense of inner contentment, of acceptance, not holding on to things. Freedom from ill will, not moving about through life with a wall of resentment, developing compassion, developing gentleness, and knowing that real gentleness is proven in moments of difficulty not when things are all going fine. It's freedom from having a sense of being perpetually defeated, which is also very common. It's like ill will directed towards ourselves and towards what we define as being possible or the limits of what might be possible for ourselves. To transcend that that sense of being perpetually defeated This is the process of faith, understanding what is possible for ourselves and arousing the energy which is inseparable from that trust. Sometimes, you know, we use doubt as a way of pulling back, of not trying, because there's a kind of fear that if we we believe in something in the sense of having faith and we really put our energy in, we may not make it anyway. So it's fear of failure, of kind of putting ourselves on the line and saying, this is what I want from life and I'm going to go for it. So we often use doubt in a manipulative way to protect ourselves from actually committing wholeheartedly to some process. And the third aspect of, of right orientation or aspiration is freedom from cruelty. It's having the faith in the efficacy and the power of compassion and nourishing compassion and active love in our lives. The power of faith is the power of non-attachment to the vicissitudes of life. So there's gain and loss and pleasure and pain and fame and infamy and praise and blame. And it's just this constant rotation of these factors in our experience not being attached, not needing things to be a certain way. It's the power of faith. It said that by faith the flood is crossed. And the reason for that is that faith becomes like a very broad and expansive and strong raft upon which we can sail the stormy seas of the vicissitudes, of the changes, of the transiencies of our lives. The stronger the faith, the broader the raft. And I especially wanted to use this image 
for the people who, upon hearing the tightrope image, you know, imagine yourself walking a tightrope from one end to the other, got a little bit queasy at the thought that it was this tiny little narrow strip of safety stretched over an abyss of nothingness. Really, it's a very broad platform. And the power of faith is what broadens it. It makes all of our experience inclusive in our learning and in our growth. It's the, the broadness of it and the safety of it that allows us to be steadfast in the midst of all of this change, all of this transition. It said that there are three levels of faith. The first level is faith in someone or something because it feels good or it feels pleasant. It happens to be in accord with what we like. And so we put our trust in it. We open up to it. The second level of faith, or the second quality of faith, is faith in the appreciation of certain qualities in somebody else, like love or wisdom or compassion. We see those qualities in someone else and we have faith in them or faith in the process that can help strengthen those qualities in ourselves. So it's like an inspiration. And the third and highest kind of faith is the faith or the conviction or the confidence that comes from our own experience of the truth. It's the highest possible kind of confidence in the mind that we can experience from our own experience of the truth. In all three of these levels, the trust that we have suffuses our wisdom and our effort And the wisdom and effort, in turn, balance out the faith. So it's not just blind faith or uh, devotion to a dogma, but it's the arousing of energy and the cultivation of wisdom of seeing so that what we trust is based upon our own vision of how things are, of the nature of things. There's some types of people, although I don't have a breakdown into greed, hatred, and delusion types, but I suspect there is one somewhere. There's some types of people who feel very comfortable with manifestations and expressions of faith in external form. It's like having the Buddha image up here, not for worship or entreaty, but having the image as a sense of inspiration, of serenity and endeavor. There are many people who, for whom it's a powerful inspiration just to remember that this is possible and to have some external form in the process of remembering. There are other people who derive confidence and energy from the formless. It's like devotion to the manifestation of truth in all its aspects. And using this manifestation of truth to develop a sense of connectedness to something bigger than our sense of self, our sense of who we are. Not being imprisoned within the sense of self and conflict and wanting and pushing away. With trust,
conflict and wanting and pushing away. With trust, there's an ability to move forward and to take risks without knowing what's going to happen. And then deepening that sense of trust from the experience of having moved on, of having opened up. We tend to want resolution of conflict or confirmation of who we are or some kind of reassurance before we take the next step. This is one root cause for the kinds of incessant planning we can get involved in. And the last two weeks of the retreat are certainly the time to see this. What is at the root of continually planning and planning and planning and wanting to to know things are nice and secure and, and under control? Usually it's wanting some kind of confirmation or affirmation of who we are or what's going to happen before we take the next step, rather than having a sense of trust. There's a threefold awakening to faith and to trust. Sometimes I wonder if people will leave here and you know, they'll all be, there are three of these, and there are four of those, and there are five of these, and eight of those, and nine of those, and 37 of those. And it's hard to have a normal conversation sometimes, you know. <laughs> but there's a threefold awakening to faith. The first of these is, is an awakening. It's an opening to the rightness or the correctness of comprehending the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha in the development of earnestness. You know that when we are very, very earnest about something, when we are really in dead earnest about something, we bend every incident and every opportunity to our purpose. There's no wavering. There's no uncertainty or hesitation. And we don't waste time. We use every single mechanism we can find to fulfill our purpose. We don't walk into a dark room and start cleaning it, start tidying up and putting away things. The first thing that we do is turn on a light. In aligning ourselves with the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha, or taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha, and developing a power of faith, it's like turning on the light. It's orienting ourselves in this dark room. It's aligning ourselves with a certain vision. And it really doesn't have anything to do with a religion or Buddhism or the historical figure of the Buddha. It has to do with recognizing the potential within each person for realizing the truth of which the Buddha was the manifestation of the complete awakening or understanding of the complete disentangling from bondage or freedom. The Dharma or the truth of how things are, again, it has nothing to do with a particular sectarian viewpoint but it's recognizing that there is a moral and spiritual law in the universe. And that the, the nature of things may be very, very different from our concept or our ideas or desires. And yet it is natural. We just have to expand our sense of what is natural, of what is true. And then the Sangha which is developing a sense of connectedness and respect and reliance upon those who walk the path and those who represent this moral and spiritual truth. At one point it said that Ananda went to the Buddha and said, it seems to me, O Buddha, that half of the holy life is having good friends. And the Buddha said, 
no, no, Ananda, which is what he always said, oh, no, Ananda, he said, the whole of the holy life is having good friends. It's in that, that way that we align ourselves with that shared commitment towards opening up and towards truth. So we take refuge in this possibility to remember that it is really possible in this very life to be living in a very different way from what, what is conventionally accepted as true. To be living and manifesting non-greed and non-hatred and non-delusion and to be free. We take refuge or we, we align ourselves with that possibility and the means of uncovering towards that possibility to develop or to feel a sense of guidance when we're in doubt or uncertainty, to feel a sense of, of support and inspiration when we feel stuck or stagnating. The energy of just aligning ourselves with that vision, of reminding ourselves that this is possible, that this is what we're working towards, that this is the nature of the work. I believe that even that, even that process of taking refuge in that way, of feeling that that is a sense of refuge or home, that even that, just repeating that sense is a service to the world. And then just knowing that such a state of enlightenment is possible is a service to the world. And reaffirming our sense of energy and commitment towards that. So it's reaffirming an urge towards truth and towards love and towards freedom and towards honesty. The second awakening of faith is an awakening to a profound knowledge of virtue and taking strong and direct joy in the practice of goodness. It's taking joy in the gradual perfection of generosity and morality. And understanding that this is where true happiness lies. Not in having and wanting and comparing and blaming and pushing away and needing. That within this simplicity and the power of this simplicity, this is where true happiness lies. And so it's taking great joy in manifesting that within ourselves and in sharing that with other beings. The third awakening to faith is an awakening to a sense of love and compassion which embraces all beings. It's a sense of love and compassion which is based upon understanding our interconnectedness, that there is no separation. And it's a sense of love and compassion that is based upon a sense of faith and conviction in the power of this endeavor of coming to greater truth and understanding. It's a very awesome power. Being in touch with the power and the strength of this process and understanding that it is not an individual or isolated effort, that it is an effort which reverberates or resounds throughout the world through the force of love and compassion. 
as powerful as the truth is, then that is the power of that energy that moves out. In the Dharma, in the truth, or in our experience of the world, there's actually no withholding. It's not as though the world is withholding anything. It's all there, just this constant presentation and offering of all elements and all levels, all possibilities that are there before us. And so we align ourselves to this, we conform to this, and we bring our energy to match this, also by not withholding, not holding back, and not, not shrinking, not resisting, not pulling away. This is the cultivation of faith through recognizing our actual potential as manifest in the Buddha or the Dharma or the Sangha. And coming to a sense of the profundity and the depth of moral law and spiritual law in our lives. and generating that sense of connectedness, of love and compassion towards all beings, embracing all beings everywhere with whom we share, whether consciously or unconsciously, this process. This is a quote from Gandhi. If we grant nothing, we get nothing. And so the question of the purity of our trust or the intensity of our trust is the question of how much we're willing to grant, how much we're willing to open, and how much we're willing to yield so that we can fully experience the moment without duality and without comparison. If nothing else happens during this retreat, this alone the development of some sense of faith and confidence in oneself and in the unfolding of the truth. If nothing else happens, this is more than enough. And so to understand that it is It is not a question of time, and it is not a question of acquisition, and it is not a question of succeeding or failing, or getting or losing. It is a process of becoming more and more open and more and more trusting. And so it's immeasurable. There's no way to to take a concrete measurement except in terms of one's suffering or one's peace. Someone asked Nisargadot, I'd just like to end with this quote. Someone asked him once, how do we know if we're progressing on the path? And he said, you'll know by the development of your earnestness. So the only measure or the only standard that we can really use is the sincerity and wholeheartedness of that earnestness, of that flame, which is onward moving, which is unyielding in its direction, in its um, burning of that which arises and seems to be confusing or seems to be enticing to hold back or to withdraw. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.